Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect Workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star, then zero on your touch-tone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Senior Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you so much. Emma and I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's program, New Perspectives in the Treatment of Peripheral T-Cell Lymphoma, or PTCL. And today's program is we're doing this in, in partnership with the Lymphoma Foundation of America, and you'll be hearing more about that wonderful organization as we move along. Today's activity is supported by SEGAN, and I really want to thank them for their support of the program today. And we have over 155 participants on the call today. You come from all of the United States, from both urban, rural, suburban, and frontier communities. And we also have international participants from Canada, Nigeria and United Kingdom. So this is truly a global call as well. And we are delighted to have you spend the next hour with us learning more about a peripheral T-cell lymphoma. And now it's my pleasure to introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Allison Moskowitz. Dr. Moskowitz is Associate Professor of Medicine, Weill Cornell Medical College, lymphoma specialist, Associate Attending Clinical Director of the Lymphoma Service, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. And Dr. Moskowitz will be addressing overview of peripheral T-cell lymphoma, PTCL, types of peripheral T-cell lymphoma, and current standard of care. It's now my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Moskowitz. Thank you so much for that introduction. Um, so it's a pleasure to give an overview of the T-cell lymphomas and the, our standard treatment or our current standard treatment. Um, so when we think about lymphomas in general, there are many, many different types of lymphoma. Uh, our general ways of categorizing them include uh, calling, categorize them as Hodgkin lymphoma or non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Hodgkin lymphoma just represents one disease, and then we group all of the other ones into non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Um, so when we say someone has non-Hodgkin lymphoma, it really can mean many different types of disease. And the majority of the non-Hodgkin lymphomas are B-cell lymphomas. And so the T-cell lymphomas that we're going to be talking about really represent only about 15% of the non-Hodgkin lymphomas. And within those entities, there are many different subtypes. Um, and, and actually, the most common types of T-cell lymphomas represent, are, are called, um, or the most common type is peripheral T-cell lymphoma, not otherwise specified. Um, and then the other two that are, are fairly um, amongst the more common ones are the T follicular helper lymphomas or angiometoblastic T cell lymphoma, as well as anaplastic large cell lymphomas. Um, now, peripheral T cell lymphoma, not otherwise specified, tends to be a very heterogeneous uh, group of diseases. Um, it basically are the T cell lymphomas that don't fall into any of the other categories. Um, and so as a result, there can be a, a big, uh, a lot of variety amongst different patients who have peripheral T-cell lymphoma not otherwise specified. Um, there are many other types of T-cell lymphoma, and they tend to be much more rare. And I'll try to touch upon some of them. Um, 
and especially the ones that we tend to treat a little, I'll just mention briefly the ones that we tend to treat a little differently. Um, but as far as the more common ones, so when we think about peripheral T cell lymphoma, not only specified or angiomedoblastic T cell lymphoma, or even anaplastic large cell lymphoma, those tend to be lymphomas that present with enlargement of lymph nodes, although they don't always have to. Um, sometimes they can present in areas outside of the lymph nodes. Um, sometimes they can present, uh, be associated with rash, fever, uh, feeling unwell. Um, sometimes patients will present with, with no significant symptoms. So there can be quite a, a range of how someone can present. Um, when we think about how to um, our, our current treatments for the, for the T cell lymphomas actually are somewhat borrowed from the B cell lymphomas since they're the ones that are more common and larger studies were, uh, were conducted in the B cell lymphomas. And, and, in, and historically, T cell lymphomas and B cell lymphomas used to be uh, studied together in the same studies. Um, and so the most common regimen that we use for the more common types of T cell lymphoma is a regimen called CHOP. Um, which is um, a regimen that's routinely used in B cell lymphomas as well. Um, and so CHOP it tends to be the backbone of the treatment that we use um, for the more common lymphomas. Um, and we, there are some variations that we make on the CHOP regimen um, by adding some additional drugs or exchanging some additional drugs, but basically that's, that's our backbone. Um, so, so CHOP is a, a regimen that includes um, three different chemotherapy regimens that are infused through an IV, and then uh, prednisone is the P, which is an oral medication that's taken for five days. Um, so this, um, and then we build upon this regimen um, amongst the T cell lymphomas. What we've learned is that um, CHOP is, although it tends to be very, very effective in the B cell lymphomas, it's not quite as effective for the T cell lymphomas. It, it, is, it is effective, but doesn't tend to um, be as effective as we see in the other lymphomas. And so as a result, we've tried to improve upon it. Um, and so one way that it's been improved upon is by adding an additional chemotherapy drug called etoposide that tends to be very effective for T cell lymphomas. And so when we do that, we use a, it, the regimen is called CHOOP because there's an E in there. Um, and so that's a common regimen that we use. Um, and then another Another treatment that we tend to do to try to improve the chance of being cured from a T cell lymphoma after a regimen such as CHOP or CHOAP is often after um, trying to, you know, using the regimen to aim to get uh, someone into remission, we often will then consider um, what we call an autologous central transplant, is, which is a fancy way of saying it's uh, a way of giving high-dose chemotherapy um, with the goal of trying to eradicate any last lymphoma cells that might be uh, that might that might still be left behind after using chop or chill up um, now one more regimen now the other regimen that is very commonly used for T cell lymphomas um, uses a new drug um, which is called brintuximab bedotin um, this is a targeted this is a drug that is a targeted chemotherapy that targets that specifically targets a protein on the surface of cells called CD30. Um, and CD30 is always on the surface of cells of the anaplastic large cell lymphomas. And then about a, a portion of, the, of patients with peripheral T cell lymphoma, not though I specified an angiomedoblastic, roughly about 20 to 30 percent, 
will have some CD30 positivity as well. Um, and so this drug um, was shown to be very active in patients who had relapse disease, and as a result, it was subsequently studied in the frontline setting um, and incorporated into the CHOP backbone. So actually exchanged, uh, the O was, was replaced with brintuximab, um, so which we get, so we get BV or brintuximab chip. Um, and that regimen was found to be highly active, particularly for anaplastic large cell lymphoma, and led to a significant not, uh, improvement in disease control and even survival for, for patients with these diseases. And so that regimen is the standard of care for patients who have lymphomas that have CD30 positivity, so such as the anaplastic large cell lymphomas as well as the other T cell lymphomas that um, potentially have CD30 positivity. And then we still consider the high-dose chemotherapy afterwards, the stem cell transplants for select patients as well. Um, now, I, I alluded to there's some other rare, there, there are additional rare types of T cell lymphoma, and some of these we treat actually quite differently. Um, just to highlight a, a, a few examples, um, hepatosplenic T cell lymphoma um, presents in a very different way, often with enlargement of the liver and the spleen. And um, this, is a this is a disease that actually doesn't respond very well to CHOP, so we tend to use uh, different regimens um, different chemotherapy regimens and actually try to aim um, for um, a, a, an, an allogeneic stem cell transplant or a stem cell transplant from another person um, as part of the frontline treatment. Um, and likewise, another type of lymphoma is called um, um, extranodal NKT cell lymphoma, which is another, which is a disease that can um, sometimes, um, that can often present in the nasal pharyngeal area. Um, this is also a disease that doesn't tend to respond very well to CHOPs. We tend to use very different regimens for that. Um, and so um, just to, just to um, you know, certainly couldn't go into all of the different um, variations on different treatments, but just wanted to give you, just highlight some of the variations that we do use for some of the more rare subtypes. Um, so I think I'm going to end there, um, and I, I hope that was a helpful overview. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Moskowitz. That was incredibly helpful. And, and actually, you set the stage for today's program, so I appreciate you doing that as well. And I'm sure there'll be questions to you during the Q&A, but just an excellent, um, just an outstanding, stellar um, overview of um, peripheral T-cell lymphoma. Thank you. And our next speaker is Dr. Leia Mehta Shah. And Dr. Um, Mehta Shah is Associate um, Professor, Department of Medicine, Oncology Division, Medical Oncology, Department of Medicine, Division of Hematology and Oncology, Washington School of Medicine in St. Louis. And Dr. Manishaw will be addressing new and emerging treatment approaches, treatment under investigation, updates on clinical trials. And uh, so okay, it's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Manishaw. Thank you so much for um, having me join this um, great group, uh, the great panel to answer questions about T-cell lymphoma. So I'm going to pick up a little bit where Dr. Moskowitz had, had left off, um, you know, the, talking, you know, for patients who, for whom their lymphoma comes back, um, we, uh, there are some med medicines that are standardly approved. You know, the studies in T-cell lymphoma being rare diseases have, um, have 
required a significant effort, you know, sometimes an international effort to get approval for these medicines. And so the progress in T-cell lymphomas has lagged behind some of the other lymphomas. I think we're catching up. So for, you know, patients for whom their lymphoma comes back, we consider either chemotherapy medicines um, to get them into remission, or um, there are approved um, agents such as uh, what we're called histone deacetylase inhibitors. So those are medicines that change the way the genes are expressed by the cancer cells. Um, these include bolinostat and then romadepsin, which is currently available. Um, there are other single-agent um, chemotherapy type of medicines, a medicine called prolotrexate that's been FDA-approved for T-cell lymphomas, and then brintuximab, the dotin, the antibody tagged to chemotherapy to deliver chemotherapy to the CD30-positive um, T-cells. And each of those medicines can work. Um, brintuximab, the dotin, has, has shown tremendous efficacy in anaplastic large-cell lymphoma, but for all the other types, they, they work, you know, roughly similarly, um, and they only work for a number of months when they work. Uh, each of them usually puts uh, people into remission for 20, uh, 25 to 30% of the time, um, meaning we're often trying one medicine and then trying another medicine. For the patients who are fortunate to get into a, a, a good remission and um, are from their, uh, the rest of their health status are able to we consider a bone marrow transplant from another person or an allogeneic bone marrow transplant. Um, this is uh, replacing one's immune system with someone else's immune system with the hopes that the new immune system will find the cancer cells and keep them away. But to be able to get this, you do need a donor, you have to be in good health, and, and usually this is limited to people who are um, younger and fit and, and not considered for people above the age of 70 or so. And so, um, that means that for patients who can get a transplant or consider a transplant, we try to get them into remission quickly to try to get them to a transplant. But in other patients, we try to use one medicine or one regimen at a time to keep them in remission and maintain their quality of life. And with this approach, you know, the um, you know, unfortunately, we see many patients who um, we have some patients who do well, but uh, a lot of our patients do poorly, leading to a lot of room for improved treatment options. Um, so I'm going to go over some of these categories of treatment options um, as well um, to, to start to talk about which classes of medicines are currently being studied in T-cell lymphomas. Um, so the first of these are called PI3 kinase inhibitors. Um, these are um, oral medicines that are, that are given um, that kill part of the signaling for the cancer cells to grow. Uh, we also think they work on the um, the cells around the cancer cell that that continue to um, perpetuate their growth. And there's a few of them that have been in development. The one that has been farthest along has been a medicine called Duvalisib, which was studied in a in a large um, international what we call registration study of over 100 patients. Um, and that pill medicine, which is taken twice a day, um, seems to work for over 50, about 50% 50 of patients, and um, about a fourth of patients are in a complete remission uh, by the first time that you're repeating their scans afterwards, which is, which is um, you know, his, better than what we've seen historically. Um, this class of medicines has um, been uh, in the press quite a bit because the same class has been studied in other B-cell lymphomas. Um, where it's been associated with an increased risk of infections, including respiratory tract infections and COVID, um, as well as um, diarrhea and liver problems. 
And so um, there is uh, a lot of um, uh, monitoring of, of patients who are on these medicines, but also um, a lot of stringency in the approval process. So um, this medicine is not yet FDA approved, although the um, registration trial has been completed. Um, there are other um, PI3 kinase inhibitors, inhibitors that have been, they're also in study for T-cell lymphoma. One of these is called tenalisib. Another one is called uh, linperisib. Um, and some of these studies are ongoing throughout the country. Um, but this seems to be a class of significant interest in T-cell lymphomas um, that has re reasonably well tolerated um, and has a higher degree of efficacy compared to some of the other agents that we've had access to. Another um, group of medicines that we consider in T-cell lymphomas are uh, in the family of um, hypomethylating agents. So I was alluding to the fact that um, you know, some of the medicines that we use change the way the genes in the cancer cells are expressed and which genes are more active than others. So another way of doing that is through um, something called hypomethylating agents, which also changes the way genes are expressed by the cancer cells. These um, hypomethylating agents are already approved for other diseases, including certain types of leukemia, uh, and are commonly used and have actually been studied in combination with other chemotherapies as well, as well as, well as other um, anti-cancer therapies that are not chemo. And um, some types of T-cell lymphoma, um, particularly those that come from the T-follicular helper cell, um, seem to have certain aberrancies in their genes that makes us think that they're more sensitive to this class of medicines. And so that's been of significant interest as well, uh, studying these medicines like a medicine called azacytidine, either um, for patients who, for whom their lymphoma has come back or uh, for whom um, they're using it in combination with chemotherapy. And we'll get back to that in just a little bit. Um, there is a large uh, uh, international study done in Europe where they compared using that azacytidine medicine as a pill um, to other standardly available medicines. And it didn't seem like it helped significantly more people in terms of the response rate or the duration of response, but the patients who were on the part of the study who received that pill looked like they were living a little bit longer. Um, so there's more to be done in this arena and probably seems to most help those who have that T follicular helper phenotype lymphoma or angioimmunoplastic T cell lymphoma. Another class of medicines that has been of significant um, interest are in the family of what we call um, JAK-STAT inhibitors, and a lot of this work actually has been pioneered by Dr. Moskowitz, who's on this panel. Um, uh, we know that JAK and STAT are proteins that are also involved in cell activation, involved in T-cell activation. And uh, by blocking those proteins, you could also block the growth of the cancer cells. JAK inhibitors have now been um, studied not only in, in lymphoma where, um, and other cancers um, where they're approved, um, but they've also been studied in other inflammatory processes, and they're also studied in autoimmune diseases and are standardly approved for these as well. So there have been a number of JAK um, inhibitors um, that have been studied, including a study that Dr. Moskowitz did of a pill medicine called ruxolitinib. And that medicine seems to work um, best for people whose lymphoma seem to be hinged on that pathway. Um, but that, and that, again, is a well-tolerated medicine. There is a uh, newer JAK inhibitor um, that has been studied on, a, on a, also a registration trial. That study is near complete. Um, 
but was presented recently at the annual um, Society for um, Clinical Oncology meeting, or ASCO, in June, where it shows that this medicine called glitacitinib seems to have significant efficacy as well. So I think that's something to look out for in the future um, as that drug continues to go through the approval uh, pathway. Again, that medicine was, uh, like ruxolitinib, was very well tolerated with low risks of infection or other major complications and low risks of um, hospitalizations due to complications of the medicine. So more, more to come on that. And the other um, new kit on the block is in the family of EZH2 inhibitors. Um, so EZH2 um, is a protein that also um, is involved in gene regulation and how um, cells express certain genes. And we know that EZH2 um, seems to be um, important in T-cell lymphomas um, and, and peripheral and actually cutaneous T-cell lymphomas too. And so there are inhibitors of EZH2. One of these has been approved for, for a, a B-cell lymphoma called follicular lymphoma. Um, and uh, in T-cell lymphoma, there's been a drug um, called Valmedistat, uh, which has been studied in um, a study in Japan and the U.S., where it looks like that drug also worked for about 50% of people with about a third of patients going into complete remission um, and also was well tolerated. So that led to an international um, potential registration study of Valmedistat in T-cell lymphomas. And that study is um, completed. Um, and we're hoping to hear results of that um, larger study soon and, and more to come on the development of Valmedistat. Um, a lot of patients will ask, um, are there ways to harness the immune system to fight the cancer? That's an area of ongoing uh, research in, in many of the therapies that we have that boost the immune system to fight the cancer or use the immune system to fight cancer are ones that actually activate T cells in one form or the other. And um, some of those medicines seem like they could work, but some of them seem to activate the lymphoma T cells too. So it's an area of um, considerable research that's ongoing. Um, and it may be that certain subtypes of T cell lymphoma benefit more from that approach than others. And in others, it might not be the safest choice. Um, but we're learning about those through, through many studies going on, you know, both in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. And similarly, there are studies ongoing to look at um, using your own immune cells, either NK cells or your own immune T cells, and engineering them to fight the cancer. These are called CAR T cells. Um, those are CAR T cells are approved for other sorts of lymphoma, including um, the more common B cell lymphoma, diffuse large B cell lymphoma and are currently under study in, in T-cell lymphoma. So some of those um, classes of agents are currently um, being evaluated by um, many people across the world, including people on this call. Um, so that's, in, in summary, um, where, what, how the current um, treatment is for patient options are for patients who have relapse or refractory T-cell lymphoma, and then how novel agents are used. Um, just to highlight, um, some of these agents have shown enough promise that they're also being studied um, in combination with the CHOP-like chemotherapy that Dr. Moskowitz was alluding to, and, and that um, some of those studies are in a U.S. Uh, NCI-funded uh, cooperative group study looking at um, CHOP-based chemotherapy, and patients receive either that or that chemotherapy plus Duvalisib, the PI3 kinase inhibitor pill, or um, azacitidine as a, as a pill, the hypomethylating agent. So hopefully more to come from that study as well. 
Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Menashe. That was an outstanding presentation. I'm just so stellar and lots of information for our participants. I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, but just very, um, very outstanding presentation and a lot of detail about the different types of T-cell lymphoma, peripheral T-cell lymphoma, and the different types of treatment that are appropriate for each of them. So thank you. Thank you so much. And our next speaker is um, Dr. Nora Banani, and Dr. Banani is Assistant Professor of Medicine, Clinical Cell Therapy Fellowship Program Director, T-Cell Lymphoma Research Program Director, Mayo Clinic College of Medicine. And Dr. Banani will be addressing how clinical trials contribute to your treatment options, practical tips to manage treatment side effects, symptoms, discomfort, and pain, and guidelines to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments, including technology, prepared list of questions, follow-up care and appointments, quality of life concerns, and discussion of open notes. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Benani. Thank you very much for the introduction, and I am very pleased to be here with you today to discuss this topic. Um, as you may, heard, may have heard, as you have heard from my colleagues, Dr. Moskowitz and Dr. Mehta Shah, who has done a wonderful overview of the standard of care therapies and um, also the newer therapies that are, that are being introduced um, through clinical trials uh, for the treatment of T-cell lymphoma. Um, you know, although some progress has been made in the treatment and management of T-cell lymphomas, outcomes including response, complete response, and duration of response could certainly be improved on. Uh, so ideally, we want to manage these diseases differently than the B-cell non-Hodgkin lymphomas by thinking outside of the box because these are uh, different diseases, they have different biology, and we see that in the responses to uh, the standard therapies that have been used for decades for B-cell lymphomas. Um, what I mean by getting away from the typical cytotoxic chemotherapies and rather use therapies that target specific pathways that may be involved in the survival of the cancer cell. Um, which we call targeted therapies. Um, as you've already heard, um, there are several current mutations that could possibly be targeted. Also, there may be ways to harness the patient's immune system to fight cancer cells. And these are all things that um, the research community and the medical community are working together uh, to try to, uh, to bring to our patients. Um, the best way to get this newer therapy to our patients that we hope will be more effective is through clinical trials. If you look at the NCCN guidelines, these are the national guidelines for the management of various cancers that we as oncologists and hematologists follow. You'll see that the first recommendations for a therapy for T-cell lymphoma are actually a clinical trial. You see the list of the therapies but the first treatment option is a clinical trial. Um, we encourage you to discuss this with your treating doctors if they are available to you. Uh, some of these may, you may need to seek elsewhere as they may not be open in a closed institution. Uh, often or at times, travels and various expenses may be covered through the clinical trial. 
um, in general, um, you you'll need um, in general the trial will be well there is no in general the trial will be explained to you in great details, including potential known side effects, the schedule of treatments, uh, what it entails for you. Uh, you will be asked to sign a consent stating that you understand what the trial entails. You'll always have access to someone to answer any questions you may have at the beginning or at any time during the clinical trial. Now, as I always tell my patients, um, please be curious and look into and, um, and ask questions uh, into clinical trials and ask questions to your clinical treatment treating team. Um, I always start by telling my patients it is my, my duty to you to share with you what clinical trials that we have, otherwise I would have done you a disservice. Uh, nowadays, we are very lucky. The information is available to you with the click of a mouse. Um, a few resources to look into clinical trials will be uh, looking into the, the Lymphoma Research Foundation, which is called LRF in short, and the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, uh, it's, in short, is LLLs. Also, uh, the Cancer Care website. Um, these are, there are several trials currently ongoing, both for the initial treatment of T-cell lymphoma and combination newer therapies, and Dr. Meta Shah went over some of these that are bringing promising um, therapies to, to our patients that we are very much excited about because potentially, and we hope uh, that these therapies will improve outcomes of this T-cell lymphomas. And, um, you know, maybe even potentially this will be um, easier to take if, if there are oral medications, for example. Um, please be curious and um, always seek more information about clinical trials. And I will stop here, and I am open to any questions down the road. I will also want to add one thing that some of these trials are also um, look into, um, you know, uh, quality of life and how these therapies affect our patients. Um, you know, we want to understand how you are affected with these therapies. Okay, and I will stop here and happy to, to answer any questions you may have. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Benani. That was an excellent presentation, very uh, comprehensive in addressing um, issues that of concern to patients, and um, also uh, reviewing many of the topics. Um, and I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you so much. And our next speaker is Mr. Robert Goldman. Mr. Goldman is a lawyer. He's Director of Lymphoma Foundation of America, and he'll be addressing Lymphoma Foundation of America's free programs and services. He will also discuss the patient helpline and their website. It's really my great pleasure to answer this program over to my esteemed colleague, Mr. Goldman. Lymphoma Foundation of America is a national cancer charity that provides free services and programs for lymphoma patients. If you're a patient, or know someone who is, we are here to help you. You can call us at 734-424-2000 
or go to our secure website for more information, lymphomahelp.org. For example, Lymphoma Foundation of America gives travel aid to lymphoma and leukemia patients. This helps with your transportation to and from your doctor's appointments. We also send you a list of many organizations that provide financial help for prescription medicines, health insurance, legal help, and family assistance for pediatric patients. The Lymphoma Foundation of America has nurse counselors you can speak with to answer your questions at no cost. Our goal is to help you better understand your situation so you can make informed decisions about your health care. We welcome the family members to contact us as well to learn how to help as a caregiver and also as a patient advocate. Again, our foundation's phone number is 734-424-2000. Lymphoma Foundation of America also gives grants and awards to researchers who are dedicated to finding a cure for lymphoma, who are finding and developing new treatments and studying environmental causes of lymphoma. Please visit our secure website, www.lymphomahelp.org, for helpful information on second opinions, clinical trials, lymphoma diagnosis and staging, and, of course, there are inspirational stories from people who share their recovery journey. It's my pleasure to participate on today's panel. Thank you, Dr. Mesner and Cancer Care, for the excellent information we've heard from Dr. Moskowitz, Dr. Mehta Shah, and Dr. Banani. Oh, thank you so much, Mr. Goldman. That was really an outstanding presentation. What a wonderful resource for everybody on the call from the Foundation of America. Um, they have a lot of services that you can access for free, and all you have to do is call their phone number or visit their website, and you'll get all the information you need. So um, please do take advantage of this um, uh, free service, specifically um, dealing with lymphoma. And I'm Carolyn Messner. I'm the Senior Director of Education and Training with Cancer Care. And I just want to say a few words about cancer care services that you can also access. We want to be sure that you're aware of uh, services that are out there for you that you can access for free. So Cancer Care offers a host of free programs and services. So what are those programs and services? So the, uh, the free programs include support. Um, many people call our HOPE line at 800-813-4673 and speak with one of our oncology social workers. And they will be the ones who answer the helpline calls. And they are, and there's no wait time when you call. They'll pick up the phone right away and speak with you. We have about 40 uh, master's level trained oncology social workers. And so um, they will offer support. We also have online support groups. Um, we also offer practical and financial assistance. And we also offer workshops like this and publications. And we have some community programs as well. And we also have um, uh, uh, services which we call um, resource navigation, which will help you to find, if we don't have the resource, we'll help you to find the resource that you're looking for. And we'll stay with you until you have the resource you need. So with all that being said, you can either go to our Hope Line at 1-800-813-4673 or visit our website at www.cancercare.org. And now we have time for questions and answers. I'm going to ask Emma to bring all of our speakers on board. I'm going to take as many of your questions as possible. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, we will take questions from the web only. You may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. 
And this is the first question for one of our participants. Um, and I'll give this question to Dr. Moskowitz. Is CAR-T available for PTCL? Um, so as, uh, as we heard from Dr. Medishaw and Dr. Benani, um, CAR-T cell therapy is currently being investigated as part of clinical trials for, CAR for T cell lymphoma. Um, it's a little bit more complicated um, as far as designing CAR T cell therapy for T cell lymphoma, since um, the type of cells that we're trying to attack are T cells, and and so the concern, you know, some of the difficulties has been that the CAR T cells not only attack the T cell lymphoma, but also attack themselves and end up not being able to persist um, in the patient's body when they're administered, and so it's required that. CAR T cell, that there's um, unique and you know, distinct strategies to developing CAR T cells specifically for T cell lymphoma. So those are currently being investigated as part of clinical trials, but there's nothing available as part of standard of care yet. Thank you. Um, and a question for Dr. Amanda Shah. Um, I have celiac disease. Does this mean I have a higher risk of developing PTCL? If so, why? Um, that's, a, that's an excellent question. Um, there are people who have celiac disease who um, have a very hard time controlling their celiac disease that, are, um, that have an increased risk of a specific type of peripheral T-cell lymphoma. The name for that is kind of long. It's called enteropathy-associated T-cell lymphoma. Um, and so those patients are at higher risk for that disease. Um, but um, when people, it, it really is the people who have the hardest time controlling their celiac disease. We call that refractory celiac disease. Um, and some of those patients are getting some regular endoscopies anyway because of their bowel symptoms. But in addition, it usually presents with changes in um, their bowel pattern, uh, bowel obstructions, um, new or unusual bleeding in the stools, or fevers, chills, and night sweats, some of the other symptoms we see with other lymphomas. Um, to my knowledge, celiac disease doesn't increase your risk of other types of T-cell lymphomas, however. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and this uh, question uh, for Dr. Banani. Um, what is the difference between autologous and allogeneic stem cell transplant? Which one is recommended to treat PTCL? That is a very good question. And um, so the the autologous stem cell transplant is a transplant using your own stem cells. And basically, the way I explain it to my patients is um, the stem cell itself is the stem cells um, are mostly to replenish the bone marrow after we use high-dose chemotherapy to wipe out the cancer cells, which also leads to wiping out the bone marrow. So basically, we will, we will collect the stem cells, your own stem cells, basic, pretty much just taking blood from you, like you giving blood. Uh, the stem cells are mobilized. They are collected through um, you giving uh, blood. Uh, those cells will be sorted out and then given back to you after the high-dose chemotherapy is given and has um, hopefully cleared the cancer cells. And the stem cells 
will be given and hopefully will replenish your bone marrow. Typically, that occurs within two to three weeks after the stem cells are given back. So this is your own stem cells. Uh, you will not need immunosuppression afterward because we would not expect the grass the graft versus host disease, basically, uh, which I will explain in a, in a moment. So um, the autologous stem cell transplant, uh, for it to be successful, typically um, you the, the disease need to have shown evidence of being chemosensitive, meaning you had a very good response to chemotherapy because, you know, the goal, the, the, the purpose of the autologous stem cell transplant is actually the high-dose chemotherapy to be effective in wiping out anything that is left over from the cancer cells, okay? The allogeneic stem cell transplant is different, is um, using donor stem cells that are actually typed and matched to you. And there is a national database, and can, you can use um, biologic siblings as well, sometimes the parents, um, to use their matched stem cells and given to you. Of course, you need to have had a response to the initial therapy or whatever therapy you received prior to the stem cells. The stem cells, when they are given to you, the donor stem cells, will potentially help into, um, you know, keeping the disease from coming back uh, by using your immune system and the stem cells. That's what we call the graft versus lymphoma effect. Um, okay, so that's that's what the purpose of the allogeneic stem cell transplant. However, since those stem cells do not belong to you, there is a potential chance for you to, for your immune system to reject the stem cells, leading to what we call the, to what we call graft versus host disease, and can you know can cause trouble to uh, to the patient who received the allogeneic stem cell transplant. Sometimes you may see a rash. Sometimes you can see uh, liver abnormalities, even diarrhea. We monitor the patients for that very carefully, but also we use uh, immunosuppression to prevent that from happening the best we can. Um, in general, the autologous stem cell transplant, the patients, you know, will will recover uh, within one to few months after the autologous stem cell transplant and potentially go back to uh, to being themselves normal. Um, the, the allogeneic stem cell transplant requires more uh, prolonged follow-up because of the immunosuppression, the risk of graft versus host disease. So it is more uh, involved. Um, so those are the differences. Of course, the indications for autologous stem cell transplant or allogeneic stem cell transplant are different. Certain diseases like men that, that were mentioned by Dr. Moskowitz and Dr. Metashal um, would um, autologous stem cell transplant will be sufficient or appropriate. Um, for some other rare T cell lymphomas that are more difficult to treat, uh, particularly in younger patients, for example, the hepatosplenic T cell lymphomas, we typically will, cons will consider allogeneic stem cell transplant um, ad um, 
and not the autologous stem cell transplants. And I hope I managed to explain the question between the differences between the two transplants. In general, you will meet with a transplant team, with a social worker. Um, of course, insurance approval will be needed. Uh, questions will be answered in terms of what it entails, uh, the follow-up and all of that. It's usually um, um, a lot of education uh, that's needed beforehand. And in general, you will need um, a caregiver uh, to help through time, the parent, you know, the recovery time. Okay, and happy to answer any additional question regarding this. Thank you so much, Dr. Lin. That was really wonderful. Excellent. Thank you. And um, a question for Dr. Moskowitz: What is the connection um, the human T cell leukemia virus one, and how is it different from the Epstein Barr virus? Um, so that's a great question. So the the, H, the HTLV1 uh, virus is a virus that um, is prevalent in Japan, in uh, South in parts of the Caribbean, um, and um, and and in Africa as well, and, and other uh, spots throughout the world. And um, and in those areas where it's prevalent, it actually um, becomes prevalent because it's it's actually passed down through generations and families through breast milk. Um, and so when people have the virus, they, they often acquire it as a baby. Um, and it turns out that um, many pe most people with the virus will live their whole life you know, without having any problems from it or you know, without knowing about it. Um, but um, about 5% of people with the virus will, uh, can develop uh, a type of lymphoma called the uh, adult T-cell lymphoma, such leukemia, which um, can uh, develop uh, as, as four different variants. Um, two of them are a little bit more slower growing, and then two of them um, are quite aggressive. Um, and um, it, they, they can develop, they can be associated with, um, with disease in the blood or, and or lymph nodes and, and also outside of the lymph nodes. Um, can and some people can have high calcium when they present, and, and, and many people when they present with the more aggressive forms can be very very sick. Um, this is one of the diseases that when we treat it, um, as far as what type of transplant do we try to aim for um, as part of the frontline treatment um, for this one, um, an autologous stem cell transplant, the one from yourself, does not is not effective for this type of lymphoma, and so. For, for someone who is able to get into remission with, with frontline chemotherapy, um, we then aim to um, consolidate the treatment um, with an allogeneic central transplant, so the transplant from a donor, as, as you just heard described. Um, the EDD virus, so it's another virus that is, is actually even more prevalent than HTLV1 virus. It's, you know, 90% of the population will have the EBV virus, and many of us um, you know, this is the virus that causes mononucleosis that um, many people have as when they're kids or, or teenagers, um, and many people just um, get over the virus and, um, you know, never, don't really have manifestations of it and just have evidence that they had it in the past. Um, but for some, for some reason, um, sometimes this virus can be associated with certain types of lymphoma. Um, one of the, uh, some of the specific ones that it can be associated with is um, Extranodal NKT cell lymphoma, which is always associated with the EBV virus. That's the one that um, 
can um, kind of classically present in the nasopharyngeal area. Um, and also about 40% of the time, Hodgkin lymphoma can be associated with the EBV virus. Um, and um, why, these, why, why certain patients um, develop these EBV-related lymphomas, uh, you know, it's not, it's not entirely clear. Um, but um, most, you know, most people, uh, you know, even though the, the majority of the population is exposed to the EBV virus, it's, it's very, it's unclear why some people end up developing these rare types of lymphomas from them. Excellent. Thank you so much. Um, um, and um, for Dr. Banani, is there a standard of care for relapsed refractory PTCL or should I look into clinical trials? Yes, uh, that's a, a good question. Um, we, we encourage always clinical trials. Although there are therapies that are FDA approved for um, uh, peripheral T-cell lymphoma when, once they relapse, um, we know that we can do better. And the best way to, um, to potentially get possibly better therapies or newer therapies um, that work differently than those that are already FDA approved is to seek the therapies through clinical trials. Uh, clinical trials are um, go through a lot of steps before they are um, there for our patients. Uh, I did not explain this uh, initially because of limitation of time, but since the question came up, um, I, would, uh, I would like to explain this. Um, you may hear phase one, phase two, and phase three trials. And um, to explain a little bit more what it means, the phase one trials are the initial trials done um, to assess mostly whether the drug is safe for our patients. And typically, it's a small number of patients. Um, These drugs have not typically been used um, in, that's what, that's what we call first in human trial. There is often evidence, uh, preclinical evidence, that these drugs may work, and they have been tested in animal models, but not necessarily in patients. So those phase one trials tell us whether these drugs are safe, and also we can pick up whether there is a signal of activity. Once the drug goes through the phase one trial and it shows that it's safe, then we can go to the phase, a phase two trial, where we actually start looking uh, confirm the safety, but also start looking into the efficacy of the trial. Most of the drugs that are currently FDA approved uh, for T-cell lymphoma are actually through small trials that have been done, um, small phase two trials. As you may know, uh, T-cell lymphomas are rare, and it is often challenging to have large um, clinical trials uh, like phase one trials that we see in other non-Hodgkin lymphomas or in Hodgkin lymphoma. So, um, so all the FDA-approved drugs are through small phase two trials. Um, we have phase two trials, but not as commonly as for other lymphomas. And um, uh, so uh, those are typically larger trials randomized, meaning patients are given to one or several arms um, or therapies um, based on, you know, um, you, there is a computer 
software that selects the patient to be to receive one of several therapies. For example, uh, Dr. Mehta Shah has uh, one such trial where we are looking at CHOP, the standard of care CHOP or CHOAP, versus uh, CHOP with other therapies that have shown uh, efficacy in the relapse setting. So we want to see if by adding those drugs, are we going to see more activity or better outcomes with novel therapies combined to the standard therapies? And in the relapse setting, there are several trials that are ongoing. And thank I will stop so here. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, and one last question for Dr. Moskowitz. Um, has anyone, anything been shown combining BV and CHOEP or BV and CHEP? Um, yes, so um, well, the BV has been combined with CHP, so with the O taken out, and the reason for that is that the side effects of the O drug, which is Oncovin or Vincristine, um, very much overlaps with Brintuximab. They both cause peripheral neuropathy, so um, the, the regimen was designed without the O, but that's the regimen that um, so Brintuximab plus CHP is the regimen that is the standard of care for anaplastic large cell lymphoma as well as other CD30 positive T cell lymphomas. Um, that's the standard of care um, as far as the induction treatment. Um, BV plus CHEP, so adding in the atopicide, is also a regimen that has gotten evaluated that has been evaluated in a clinical trial. Um, it's not as, it was not as large as the clinical trial that looked at BV plus CHP. Um, that, you know, the, the BV plus CHP study was a, a randomized study comparing the treatment to just standard CHOP. Um, but the BV plus CHEP study was um, conducted um, in um, a group of patients with T cell lymphoma. All of the patients got the same treatment, and then they had the option to go on to auto-transplant, and whether or not they went on to auto-transplant, they then received additional treatment with maintenance therapy with brintuximab. Um, and actually, um, it was a, you know, a, ver a, a varied group of different patients with T-cell lymphoma, but many of them had um, CD30-positive peripheral T-cell lymphoma nodulized specified as well as the other, as well as angioblastic T-cell lymphoma. And the results looked very promising um, and the, the regimen was fairly tolerable. So I do think that there is a role for that regimen for um, some of the more aggressive T-cell lymphomas that are CD30 positive. Um, and that regimen will be studied further in, in a, it should be, is likely to be studied further in a larger study. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. I want to thank our speakers. This has been a really an amazing call. And I want to thank all our participants for asking such great questions. I'm going to ask our speakers before we end the call today to just provide takeaways for all of you. So I'm going to start with Dr. Moskowitz, then Dr. Meta Shah, and then uh, Dr. Um, Benani um, to just provide just a takeaway from today's program. So I'll, and it just could be a sentence, um, what you'd like people to take away from today's program. So Dr. Moskowitz, if you would go first. Um, well, I guess the one takeaway from my part is for the more common types of T-cell lymphoma, so the peripheral T-cell lymphoma, otherwise specified, and angioplastic and anaplastic large cell lymphoma, are the goal of initial treatment for someone who is fit, um, you know, and able to tolerate aggressive treatment. Our, our goal is to try to cure 
the lymphoma. And, and we do that using, um, you know, with a CHOP-based regimen, um, many of them include brintuximab for the CD30-positive diseases, um, and then we aim to consolidate with an autologous stem cell transplant. So that's, that is currently um, our standard for, for the more common types of teeth and lymphoma. Thank you so much. And Dr. Meta Shah, takeaway? Sure. Um, you know, I think the takeaway from my section is that um, there are um, treatments for people for whom their lymphoma um, comes back, but in the um, current landscape are also clinical trials that are uh, studying targeted pathways specific to T-cell lymphoma that also show significant promise. And so the future for patients with T-cell lymphoma, we think, is um, brighter than their predecessors. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and Dr. Banani. Yes, so to summarize what I went over in terms of clinical trials and my my um, my giveaway to our patients is, yes, please uh, seek clinical trials. Um, there are newer therapies that are currently under study that um, will bring uh, possibly um, uh, more um, better uh, responses. Uh, than what we currently have FDA approved and um, potentially with um, possibly less side effects. So um, be as curious as you can be. Uh, do your research, uh, talk to your provider, and, um, um, and be uh, your own uh, advocate. Um, we, we want to help you. However, uh, we, um, you need to also um, be um, as, uh, as curious as you can be in terms of uh, your treatment and what it entails. And definitely clinical trials are the way to go for T-cell lymphoma. Uh, there is so much more that we can do. And like Dr. Mehdasha said, yes, the future is bright. Uh, there are promising therapies that are currently under study. And uh, we hope that in the near future, uh, the outcomes of T-cell lymphoma will be uh, way better, um, hopefully. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I want to thank our speakers, just phenomenal speakers, lots of great information for each of you to take back to your treating healthcare team. Also, I want to thank our participants for asking such great questions, which always enhances the program so much. So these, and although we've done this program before, I have to say your questions were, were just wonderful today, so um, gave our speakers a great opportunity to address them. Um, again, I don't want anyone to leave today's call feeling that you're alone. I don't want you to think that you're, um, that, you know, that you're, that there's no one there to help you. It is obvious. It's, often tempting to feel alone in coping with peripheral T-cell lymphoma or any type of lymphoma or cancer. Um, it's a normal feeling to have, but we want you to know that you're now part of a community of support. You have the Lymphoma Foundation of America um, to contact, Cancer Care, and a host of other cancer organizations that offer free support to you. You also, of course, you don't want to sidestep your healthcare team. And your healthcare team, of course, you want to bring this information back to them, ask more informed questions based on what you learned today. Um, and so know that there, is, there are opportunities out there um, and that you can take advantage of them. Um, uh, so again, I want to thank you all for your participation today. And I just want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. And you may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.